Breaking It Down with Frank McKay. This is 1039 LI News Radio. I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. This is Frank McKay, and my very special guest is author Michael Cristaldi, and he is the author of Paramount Studios, early Paramount Studios. Is that right, Michael? Early Paramount Studios, right. I know you have a sequel coming out, but let's let's first talk about the uh, the first book and what what really is an interesting uh, an interesting story in in general, and it's really a history lesson on the on the movie business. So uh, tell us uh, first of all what uh, compelled you to do this. Well, Paramount was always uh, the studio that held dearest to my heart. When I first got to Hollywood many, many years ago, that was the first studio that I had ever seen. And back in Philadelphia, where I grew up, you know, all my favorite TV shows were Paramount shows, Happy Days and Laverne and Shirley. My favorite films were all Paramount films, The Godfather, Serpico. You know, at the end, it would always come out, that mountain logo. So when I got out there and I saw this place, I thought, man, that's where all the dreams are happening inside those gates. And I was able to get inside and started hanging around within the studio. And there's always some type of magic going on there. And then I started investigating more about the history of the studio. And Paramount was the first studio to ever make a full-length feature film. Before that, I re- they were just watching these flickers. They were like 10 to 12 minutes long, these films. And Adolf Zucker, the founder of um, Paramount, which was originally called Famous Players at the time, he thought people would sit longer than 12 minutes to watch a movie. And all his uh, counterparts at other studios and stuff thought he was crazy. They told his wife, you know, your husband lost his mind and his money's going to follow if he wants to invest in a film that's going to be more than 12 minutes long. And he put up $40,000 in 1912, which was a huge amount of money, and he bought a film from France called Queen Elizabeth. And he premiered it in New York, and it was a huge success. So naturally, all the other guys at these other studios all went into production to try to make full-length feature films. All right, let let me jump in for a second. All right, now, first of all, what did Zucker do prior to this, and uh, second part of that is when you say it made money, do you, do you know exactly how much it made? Uh, Roughly. Queen Elizabeth made, I think, $100,000 initially, you know, on its initial run. They premiered it at the Lyceum Theater in New York City. That's a big box for back then. That's a lot of money. Oh, oh huge, huge amount uh, of bucks. The guy he partnered up with in Paramount, Jesse Lasky, a year after um, they premiered Queen Elizabeth. Uh, now, Queen Elizabeth, you understand, was a film that Zucker purchased. Uh, so he purchased the complete film and then just for the, and he purchased it for the American rights. Lasky, he actually made a film. He optioned a play called Squall Man, and they went out to Hollywood. Again, Paramount made the first full-length feature film in Hollywood, in the area of Hollywood. And um, that film cost 15000 to make, and it made $250,000 in its initial run. So, I mean, huge, huge, I mean, $250,000 in 1914, huge, you know, it's making, you know, probably $40 million now on a film or $80 million or something. 
big money. Now, let me remind listeners that just may be tuning in that this is Frank McKay, and more importantly, Michael Cristaldi is the author of Early Paramount Studios. And when Zucker originally took Queen Elizabeth, and what did you say, $12,000 he bought the rights for? Uh, uh, 40, 40000 Oh, $40,000. Yeah. Okay. What happened was um, Zucker, he came to this country at 15 years old from Hungary. Um, he became a farrier. He, he got a job as an apprentice in the shop. And he, he saved his money. He was making, you know, two, three dollars a week. And he was saving all this money, working hard. And uh, he opened his own farrier business. What he did was he, uh, on Mink Stoll's, he, he created the class. He said, leave the head on and use the mouth as a class. And it caught on. Everybody was buying these mink stoles. And he made a lot of money. Um, he moved to Chicago from New York, opened up uh, another farrier business there, and became friends with Marcus Lowe, who uh, became a partner in MGM eventually. Um, moved, Zucker married in Chicago, moved back here. And while he was in the farrier business, he was looking for something a little more exciting. And at the time, they had these penny arcades in New York. And, you know, it was a lot of different, what we would consider like an arcade, like an art generation, but it had pinball machine, skee-ball, and a game room, games, like a game room. The game rooms, right. They had, they had, oh, these things were popping up in New York. And a guy came to Zucker and he said, you know, would you consider, you know, putting some money in and investing in one of, of these um, penny arcades? So he did it. Him and a couple other guys went in. They opened up a spot in New York. And he'd go in there and hang around. And one of the things that you could do in there was you put a penny in and, you know, you wind this uh, uh, wheel and these cards would move. And it would show like a moving picture, a girl dancing, a guy, you know, draw a cowboy drawing a gun or something like that. And it was creating a lot of attention. So he thought, um, you know, we should try to elaborate on this these moving picture type of things. So Edison had, was inventing the uh, motion picture camera at that point, and um, Duker uh, bought some films from him, and then they started to show these, you know, five, six-minute films, which eventually went to, like, 10 to 12 minutes, and uh, eventually they started charging a nickel for them, which we all know the term Nickelodeon. So Duker opened up another theater, um, by himself because his partners didn't want to go in with it. And he opened the Nickelodeon up the street. And all this was on 14th Street and Broadway in New York. And uh, every time I pass by there, I see it's so crowded. There's a supermarket there now and all. And I think none of these people know that this is where film actually started. There's no right there's no plaque? There's no... Nothing. Nothing. See, that's that's something. I mean, that's something that maybe the new mayor would show some uh, show some interest in in doing. That's that, that's actually an right. interesting phone call to make. That uh, do you know the exact uh, exact location? Maybe you could send it to us and we can forward I, it over. Yeah, I do. I have the the exact address, and uh, but it's the block between um, it's on you know Fourteenth Street between uh, Broadway and I think it's uh, Universal Places, the other cross street there. But that that's the block where where. He originally had the Penny Arcade and the uh, theater. There's a subway stop right there also, um, right on that corner of uh, Broadway and 14th Street. 
Hey, another uh, another reminder here. Frank McKay and Michael Cristaldi is our guest, and Michael is the author of Early Paramount Studios. Didn't mean to cut you off there, Michael. Uh, hey, what about uh, how did you get this? Real, I mean, obviously, I know Happy Days you mentioned, and and you know uh, uh, the Godfather, and all these people were made by Paramount. And that's where you got the interest for Paramount. Where'd you get your entertainment interest or your movie interest? Uh, one of your parents. And, you know, I don't know where where it came from. I know I got my sense of humor from one of my cousins. He, he was a really funny guy and, and always joking around. And I, and I guess I picked up my sense of humor from him when I was a kid. Or we but, haven't heard it yet, so we'll hold judgment on it. Um, but uh, I just always loved, you know, film, television. I remember being, and I had it by, I was about five years old when my brother was born and he wasn't born yet but I remember my parents put me to bed and I used to sneak down the steps and the couch and the TV faced the other way and I would sit on the steps and watch the television over my parents' shoulders you know when I was a kid Mm. in the early 70s and you know watch I just I used to pretend that I was sick from school so I could stay home all day and watch like the Lucy Show and the Gale's Navy I just always was interested in film and and TV and those things. And then I got involved with acting. I was in an episode of The Sopranos. I was in Stepford Wives with Nicole Kidman. I did many plays up in New York and stuff. So I always just had a huge interest in um, film and TV and actors and things like that. Well, and, I, I, um, I sold you short by just saying you're the author of this book, but it is a wonderful book. I mean, I, I met you you know last year sometime, and I read the book. It's fantastic. Everyone should get it. Michael, where can they get the book? Where can people purchase this book? Uh, Amazon.com, uh, any Barnes & Noble store. If it's not in stock, they could order it. BarnesandNoble.com, Books a Million. Uh, any bookstore can order it. It's published through Arcadia Publishing. And um, we're working on the second volume now. The, the book has done so well for us that the publisher um, called me and said, can you please, uh, you know, do a second version? Because this book does the early history. It's called Early Paramount Studios, and it goes up to uh, 1939. The next book will be called Paramount Studios, 1940 to 1990. Um the current book, the early Paramount Studios, has you know a lot of the people that worked for Paramount, such as Bing Crosby, Bob Hope, Mary Pickford, Fred McMurray. We had a great picture in there. Joe DiMaggio on a, a stationary bike with Donald O'Connor, who's a kid, in mm. the photo, and uh, a, lot, a lot of great, great photos in there. Marx Brothers, and the you know the second volume will have you know Elvis who started out his film career with Paramount and Martin and Lewis who did all their films with Paramount and Natalie Wood and and it's a very interesting lot. Even someone like Marilyn Monroe who while the Misfits wasn't a Paramount picture, they when they left Las Vegas they finished the uh, interior shots on stage three at Paramount. So there's a lot of history on the lot and I, I always feel fortunate to get to spend time there and i said no matter how many times i drive through that uh, gate you know when the security guard comes down and says hey mike i always get it as thrill it's always a thrill driving on through that lot well let, let's continue let's continue on with uh, with adolf zucker for a second how did he end up i mean how did his life did he have a happy life did he have a fulfilled life hey. He had a great life. Uh, he, he remained with Paramount until he died 103 years old in 1976. 
and um, his house, which was in Long Island, they actually made it a golf course. Uh, you know, once it's an eighteen-hole golf course and a country club, so that's where he was living. Um, where on Long Island? I'd have to look it up to find out for sure, but there's a, a big guy because I know that that's where you guys are located at. But there's a big golf course there, and um, it, that was his his home um, uh, when he was alive. Now, who took over for him after he gave up the reins of Paramount? Well, he remained there as he put a guy in called Barney Balaban, and. Um, uh, Taliban, uh, you know, was there, and then they changed hands several times. But uh, Zucker remained with the company until uh, he died at 103. The other guy sort of left. He was partnered up with um, Jesse Lasky, Cecil B. DeMille. These guys were also original partners of Paramount. Sam Goldwyn was a, another guy who came in and left right away. Him and Zucker didn't get along well. So but Jesse Lasky and Sam Goldwyn were brother-in-laws. And along with Cecil B. DeMille, they all partnered with Zucker. And Zucker knew right away he couldn't work with Goldwyn. So he had told Jesse Lasky, he said, look, I can't work with your brother-in-law, so you have to make a decision who's going to stay. If you choose him to stay, I'll leave and I'll go open up another business or whatever. So, to Zucker's credit as a businessman, Lasky told his brother-in-law, you got to go. And he wind up... Uh, MGM, Lasky. right? And he went to MGM. He couldn't work with them. And so he never actually did anything with MGM. And then... Uh, wind up becoming a private producer himself, and then he opened the Goldwyn Studios uh, out in um, California next to the Formosa Cafe. So that and Sam Goldwyn wasn't the G in MGM? He was. They used his name, but but he he wasn't. Uh, he had left right away. Did he own was, stock in, in the company even after he left Goldwyn? I think, I think they bought him out. They just didn't change his name because it was established at that point. You know, even though it was a new company, I guess they didn't want to change. So even though it was Metro Goldwyn Mayer, Mayer was really the guy, and Goldwyn was doing his own thing. He did Best Years of Our Lives, and he did the Frank Sinatra film Guys and Dolls, and and uh, it's uh, it was called the Paramount Country Club. It was uh, Zucker's home in Long Island. Now, what about? Uh, personal lives uh, with uh, Adolf Zucker. Uh, was he a family man? Was he a playboy? Was he, you know, going to these nah, parties? No, nah, he was a family man. He was married for uh, a lot of years until his wife's death in 1956. And uh, he had uh, several children, a son and a daughter. And he, he was a good guy. He was, you know, no nonsense immigrant, you know, all about business and making money. And yeah, he was a shark. It, what happened was, it was Famous Buyers, uh, was Zucker's company. Lasky's company was the Jesse L. Lasky Motion Picture Company. And a guy named W.W. W. Hawkinson, he formed the Paramount Distribution Group. And what he did was, he at that point, films were only shown within a state. 
they didn't have a way of distributing them all over the country. So this Hawkinson, he created this Paramount Distribution Company, and he under the umbrella fell famous players, Zucker's Company, Jesse Lasky Company, and some other smaller um, film companies. And they were all responsible to give him so many films a year. And then the cut was uh, 60% for the film company and then 40% for Hawkinson's company. So Zucker couldn't stand that. Every time that he spoke to Lasky, Lasky said he would refer to him as this guy that we're giving 35 or 40% to. So what Zucker did was he bought up all the stock within Paramount and he held a board meeting and Hawkinson thought it was just going to be like a normal meeting. While they were at the meeting, Zucker said, we're going to have a vote on who's the president, and they voted Hawkinson out right there. He got kicked out of his own company by Zucker. So Zucker put a guy in you know, that he could control, and they took over the Paramount Distribution Company, him and Lasky. And uh, so what they were doing was releasing films called, it would, the films that were released were famous players, Lasky, Paramount. And it was too much of a mouthful. So they just adapted the name Paramount at that point and everything that was released. So what they would do is if a film was done on the West Coast, it would be uh, Paramount Pictures released, Jesse Alasky produced. Anything that was done on the East Coast was an Adolf Zucker. So Lasky noticed that more films were being done on the West Coast and he was seeing his name more on the screen than Zucker's. <laughs> he got nervous. I guess he thought Zucker was going to oust him too. So... What he did was he said, why don't we just make everything a Adolf Zucker, Jesse Lasky production? Hey, Michael Cristaldi, let me jump in and remind everyone that we have about three minutes left. This is Frank McKay with uh, with the author of Early Paramount Studios, which is a great read. Everyone that's interested in this subject should get this. And Michael Cristaldi is is an actor and an author, and he's just he's put together a wonderful book. And uh, you ever think about doing a documentary on this, or would it be difficult to get permission to, to use some of this? Well, we I have a guy, Dave Zappone and Kevin Lane, out in California. They actually have offices at the uh, Paramount Pictures um, lot. And they work with Bill Shatner. They're with William Shatner's production company, and they did um, several documentaries, one called The Captains, about um, the Star Trek series. So they had approached me about doing a documentary about Paramount because all the major studios have documentaries done about them. And I tried to contact um, some of the executives at Paramount to no avail about doing the documentary. And, and Dave and Kevin, on their part, they also tried. And uh, there was no interest on Paramount's part about documenting their history. Um, as far as us doing it on our own, we, you know, in, in speaking with uh, Dave and, and Kevin, um, they said that we wouldn't be able to do it only because if we had to buy the um, film clips from Paramount to use in the documentary, there would just be way too much money. We'd have to have them on board um, to, to help out that way. And uh, I mean, in fact, we wanted to give them a you know a two or four hour commercial <laughs> on their company, but for some reason, they, they were never good about um, maintaining their history. 
um, as like uh, Warner Brothers, who really kept a lot of files and has an archive and stuff like that. So, well, maybe there's um, a reason. Maybe they're hiding hiding something there. You know, who knows? Well, actually, I, I imagine know. other other people have said, "Let's do a documentary of Paramount Films," and they're probably thinking, "Out oh, what the hell?" You know, there, there's got to be yeah. there's got to be some kind of coverage on them. But your book is excellent. I, I'd like to if if there's a better book on early Paramount Studios or early Paramount history, I want to see it. We got about a minute left with Michael Cristaldi. This is Frank McKay. Michael's the author of Early Paramount Studios. And we'll, we'll ask you again where to get the book. But real quick, and keep in mind, we have less than a minute. What what role did you play on The Sopranos? What, a, a, a uh, I was fun? a gangster in the, in the bar. And in my scenes was uh, James Gandolfini and um, uh, Jamie Lynn Sigler, who played his daughter, Meadow, and uh, Dre DiMatteo, who played uh, Adriano on the show. We shot it over in Newark, um, New Jersey. Did you and, get some lines? Uh, did you get have a line? I, I, I did have a couple lines in there, and it was great working with um, Jim Gandolfini in the show. And uh, it was very hot. Daddy, they couldn't keep the air conditioner on. We were in a club in Newark, New Jersey, called Tequila Joe's, which was supposed to be Adriana's club in the uh, in the in the Sopranos. And they couldn't keep the air on, and it was like it was shot in June, and it must have been 110 in there. But it was a lot of fun, and it was great to work on those guys. It was the best food I ever had on any set that I've ever been on. And the cakes and food galore. It was a great, great, great time over there. Right. And uh, the book, Early Paramount Studios, is available Amazon.com, Barnes, any Barnes and Noble, or BarnesandNoble.com. Books a million, where through Arcadia, the publisher's website, or anybody that sells books. Michael Cristaldi, thanks for being here. I appreciate it, and good luck with the the sequel to this. Uh, Just a great book. Congratulations. Frank, it's always great talking to you, and I appreciate you having me on. Thank you. Michael Cristaldi, everyone, has been our guest. Early Paramount Studios, buy the book. It's fantastic. This is Frank McKay. We will see you next time on Breaking It Down. 